Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. Friends, this is an episode I've been looking forward to for quite some time. My guest is Amy Shields. She is the founder and executive director of Bring Your Brokenness, a ministry for ladies who are struggling with an eating disorder. Amy is very special to our family because this ministry has been used of the Lord to bring healing to my wife, who struggled for almost four decades before getting the help she needed through the ministry of Bring Your Brokenness. Amy is married to Kevin, and they have four children. Amy, welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Amy, we're going to record a couple episodes right now, and in this first episode, I'd love for you to share your testimony. Tell us your life story with special... uh, attention, I hope, on your conversion. And then also, I know you want to share a little bit about your struggle you faced as an adult. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, I would begin by telling you that I was blessed to grow up in a home um, where, beginning at the age of seven, I was in church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and usually Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. Wow. Um, my my stepfather, who raised me, was a Southern Baptist pastor, and so we spent a lot of time there. Now, did you move around a lot because of that, or did he we did stay not. one place? It for was a long in time? Charlottesville, Virginia, um, okay. one church. So we were blessed to be there uh, for the whole time. So in church all of the time um, from about the age of seven on. Um, I in earlier years, lived in Washington State with my father. Okay. Um, My little brother and I um, have a a sweet story of togetherness. We um, grew up um, in a home with mom um, and our biological father who uh, decided to divorce, and um, our biological father wanted to have custody of us and did not have custody of us. And so he decided um, that he was going to take my brother and I so that we could exclusively live with him. And so he took us uh, to the state of Washington and we lived there with him for four years. How old were you when you made that big move? I was three and a half years old, Mm -hmm. not quite four. And my little brother was 18 months old. So your memories really start on the West Coast. Exactly, exactly. I have one memory that I can remember of being with my mom before Mm -hmm. uh, we were taken. But uh, the rest, my earliest memories are in the West Coast. Uh, We first went to Idaho and um, a couple of months later moved to Washington, uh, Mm -hmm. just above Spokane, below the Canadian border, so that if uh, my father heard that my mom knew where we were, he could just slip over the border with us again. This had to be pretty devastating to your young soul to be taken and separated from your mother like that. To be honest with you, it it was my normal. Uh, even through my 20s and 30s, really until about 10 years ago, I didn't really know that it was not normal. I shared it as part of my story, not even thinking about it because it just happened. And okay. it was all that I knew. Yeah, it was your normal. Exactly. But through um, years of therapy and talking about it, which I'm sure we'll share later, I've, I've learned that it actually was not normal at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we were told that we didn't have a mom, that, that our mom was dead, and we weren't allowed to talk about it at all. And so we, we just carried on. Mm-hmm. I have, have always remembered having a really close relationship with my little brother 
I saw myself as his protector, even as a little girl. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the first grade, it was in March of 1982, My, I was in my first grade classroom and came in from the playground, and my teacher was crying. And she said, Amy, there are some men here, and, and they're going to take you, but I want you to know that it's going to be okay. And so I trusted her and remember getting in this car with these men in suits. And they said, we need you to show us where your brother is. And so I gave them directions, but it was to where my dad worked. And so he was in construction. And so when they pulled in, they said, your brother is here. And I said, no, but this is where my dad works. And I need to make sure it's okay with him first. And so I remember the car turning around really quickly. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We've already checked with your dad. And he said, it's okay. Your job is just to show us where your brother is. So I have no idea how at not even seven years of age, I was able to give them directions, but I did. And I remember getting getting out of the car and my brother was so excited because I was home from school early and he said, let's play, Amy, let's go play. And I said, no, I said, something is wrong. And he said, nothing's wrong. Let's go play. And I said, no, Michael, something is wrong. And about that time, the babysitter came out of the house with the men in the dark suits, and she was crying. And I remember in that moment realizing that something really was wrong. I had no idea, but I remember just feeling instant protective instinct for my little brother in a way that I'd never felt before. And I just felt like I have to take care of him. And about that time, another dark car pulled up the driveway and this lady with long dark hair leaned up and looked out the window and i said michael that's our mom and he said that's not our mom we don't have a mom let's go play and i said no michael that's our mom and so she got out of the car and And how did you know this amy well i found out years and years down the road when i was in college that My dad was dating a lady, and she told me, as an adult, she said, I just could not stand as a mom for you not to know what your mom looked like. And so she had gotten albums down to show us pictures of her. And I don't even remember that, but it is just so amazing to me how God knew in the brokenness of this world what we were getting ready to have to go through again, really a second abduction. Mm -hmm. And he used her to prepare my heart to at least know who it was. Yeah. So I'm just amazed by his sovereignty and his protection, even in that, Mm -hmm. even in the middle of the the bad that was going to happen, he was still protecting us. And so she got out of the car and sure enough, introduced herself as our mom. And she said that the man that was with her um, was our daddy and that the man that we had been with was actually not our daddy anymore and that he had said it was okay for them to take us. And so they put us in the car and took us to the airport and flew us back to Virginia. And they introduced us to our little sister and to our grandparents and um, showed us our new bedrooms, and everything was so different. The The house, the, the people, the schools were different. Even the weather was different. They changed our last name. I can remember being in the first grade and being so embarrassed that I had to go to school and I didn't even know how to spell my last name. Oh, so wow. everything was, was so different. But I had, I had Michael, and Michael had me. What and was the age difference between the two of you? 22 months. Okay, wow. 
22 months. So um, at every night we'd, we would get in bed and he would cry. And I can remember holding him and promising him that everything was going to be okay, that I was going to take care of him, that he didn't have to worry, that he didn't have to be afraid because I was going to take care of him. And I can remember in my mind, like not knowing what was to come, but not caring, just knowing no matter what, I was going to take care of him. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, and, and we know as adults with adult minds that that's not always possible. And um, I tried so hard to protect him and take care of him. But that boy found trouble every corner that he turned. He was being a boy. It was waiting for him. And it, it didn't matter um, what I did or tried to do. He, he was in trouble. Um, and so... I remember feeling guilty even early on that I was not able to protect him. Mm. But I know now that that was his way of dealing with trauma in his life. I dealt with trauma by turning it inward and by questioning myself and really hating myself. And he was just raging on the outside. Okay. Spiritually, on the West Coast, did your father have any manner of teaching about the Lord or? I don't remember going to church. Now he would tell you that we did go to church on occasion. um, And I'm sure that we probably did here and there, but I don't remember it being a regular thing. But the name of Jesus was not foreign to me. And I knew the songs, Jesus loves me. I knew all the little Mm -hmm. church songs. I do remember my dad praying a few times, but going to church was not necessarily in the fiber of of our family on the West Coast. But now you come to Virginia. Yes. And now this family, though. And we're there every time the doors open. Mm -hmm. The really hard part, though, was that this man that we now knew as daddy was the pastor there. And while we heard... We heard one thing at church and saw one thing at church. What what we sensed and got at home was not always the same. Okay. And so we um, were in church, as I shared before, every time the doors were open. We, I mean, we would joke sometimes that it, it just seemed like we lived there some days. We were always there. as there every day after school, every special event, especially when the church was smaller, it, you know how it is in ministry, like your family is just a part of all the things and you're cleaning the church and you're, you're doing all the things. And so we were there often, but I can, I can remember thinking, listening to daddy preach that it was just a different voice even than we heard in the home. Okay. Um, so there was a little bit of an inconsistency there. Exactly. Exactly. And there, it was very, um, it was very black and white and the parenting styles were so different being on the West coast to being in, in Virginia. So my, my biological father was, was very rigid and OCD in terms of rules. Really, we got in trouble there for breaking rules like there was a certain amount of toilet paper that we were able to use and a certain amount of candy that we could have. Or it was very much if you broke that rule, you got in trouble. But then when we moved to Virginia, it was more about appearances. So you will say, yes, ma'am, no, sir, or you'll get the belt. You will call him daddy. It was more of, of what everybody else was going to see. Okay, interesting. Now, where was the law on this? You mentioned basically two abductions. Who legally had right to you and your brother? So my mom had custody uh, when when we were abducted, and my my father abducted us right before it became illegal. In fact, the story is told that's how we were found. So when while we were in Washington with our dad, it became a felony for a family member 
to to take children when in in the custody of an, of another parent. And so my mom went on Good, Nor- Good Morning America to share her story. And my dad had been sending pictures through the years just uh, to to let her know that we were alive. Probably some other motives in there too, but he had been sending pictures through alias ad- addresses just so okay. that she would know that we were alive. And so she showed those pictures on national television and allegedly my dad's girlfriend's neighbor recognized us from playing in the yard wow. and she's the one that, that called it in. What a story. Kind of crazy. Yeah, no, but the other thing I'm wondering is, was your dad prosecuted for this? He was not. So it, when um, the they found out where we thing? were... Uh, my my mom was told to stay out of it, to to let the legal system handle it so that it could be done in the proper way. But she got on a plane immediately um, and came out. And um, so there was no prosecution for her, obviously, because technically she was supposed to have custody anyway, even though they asked her to wait to do it in a more suitable way. She was um, afraid that he would get wind exactly, of it, bolt again, exactly, or go to Canada. Exactly. Yeah. And then when my dad came back, um, we weren't allowed to see him or even talk to him for about six months, which was part of the hurt because we thought it was our fault. Because uh, the only thing we knew was that he told that my mom, according to her story, that it was okay for them to take us. So we assumed that he just didn't want us anymore, mm. that we'd done something wrong. And then he never called us. He, he didn't come to see us. And so we felt a lot in our little child minds that it was our fault, that we sure. were too much, that he just didn't want us anymore. So, so then you're having this, there was a wound there of rejection. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Alongside all of the other trauma of just literally being ripped from everything that you know and everything that's familiar into a brand new life. And again, really for the second time in seven years, in, well, in four years, but in, in my seven-year-old life, it was the second time that it had happened. So our dad shared with us down the road that he did call, that he tried to call every night, but that he wasn't allowed to talk to us. And the first time we were allowed to talk to him, we had a babysitter. Okay. So you got settled into your new life in Virginia. Yes. What next? What point were you confronted with the gospel for yourself? So being in church all of the time, it it became just common dialogue to me. I can remember when I was seven years old, not long after we had moved there, I told my mom that I wanted to get saved. And she said, oh, that's wonderful. And I can remember her telling um, my stepdad. And then at the time he was the assistant pastor. So going to the pastor to tell him. And I remember walking the aisle and I remember everybody praying except for me. And um, But I, I thought as a little girl that, that I was saved at that time. When I was 12 years old, I heard a sermon about hell and I was very strongly convicted that that was not a place that I wanted to be. And I became fearful thinking, what if I didn't pray that prayer. And what if I'm really not a Christian? And so I walked the aisle and asked Jesus to come into my life and to save me of my sins and told him that I wanted him to be my savior. So I was 12 years old when I made that decision. But again, it was really just more about checking a box. I believed that I loved Jesus and I believed that every word that he said was true. 
And I do believe that that was the point of my salvation, but I didn't have anybody in my life to show me that salvation was so much more than just a prayer. It, it was a man to follow. It, mm-hmm. was, it, was, it was truly committing your life to this man who wanted a relationship with me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was in college that I was on a singing team and the Lord allowed me just really to live right up next to people who loved him and were pursuing a relationship with him, who taught me what it meant to open my Bible and to read it because I wanted to, because I longed to have that relationship with him, to talk to Jesus every day as my father. Um, So I'm just so thankful for those people that that really lived out the gospel before me and taught me what it meant to have a vibrant growing relationship with Christ it was that was life changing for me in those years between 12 years old and your years in college which you went to Liberty University yes. right there in Virginia in those years did you go through the teenage rebellion period or were you the good kid who did the things you're supposed to do and then headed off to the Christian college what was your fill in the blanks there I tried really hard to be the good kid who did all of the right things, but between the years of 12 and 18, that was another season of significant traumas in my life. Okay. Um, and those, that trauma was marked more by, by sexual abuse. Okay. And so with, with each incident that happened, I, I hated myself more and more. Mm. Um, the first time, that I can remember something happening. And, and incidentally, it was when I was 12 years old. So the same time that I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I was going to a church camp for the first time. And I was a middle schooler on the bus with high schoolers and college students. And um, an older boy sat with me. We traveled overnight and, and took advantage of me. And mm. I remember just being devastated about what had happened and feeling so dirty and I went to someone who I knew that I could trust. You know how somebody sometimes you just go to somebody and you're just desperate for them to tell you, it's okay, it's not your fault, it's all going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I just so wanted to be reassured that I was okay. And so when I told this person what happened, she told me that she was really thankful that I had told her, but she was really disappointed to hear that I'd put myself in that position and that she wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't the last time. And I, I just remember, I, I don't, I can't remember, I, I can't imagine feeling more shame mm-hmm. than I felt in that moment because I was afraid that the way that I felt was actually true. And this person placed that truth on me. And I, I do recall feeling very driven in that moment to think, I have no idea how I put myself in that position, but I will never put myself in that position again. I remember feeling just so adamant and driven about that, that I don't know how it happened, but that will not happen to me again. But unfortunately, it, it did happen again mm. and again and again. And I know now as an adult who's had a lot of therapy that... I was very much a victim, um, that I was very vulnerable, and that predators can smell that from a mile away. But with every incident that happened, it just confirmed more and more in my mind that I was dirty, and that I was flawed, and that I was unworthy. 
And so I hated myself more and more and didn't want to be that person. And I was so afraid that the rest of the world would see what I so didn't want to be. And so even in my high school years, that's when I got really good at um, wearing those masks of people pleasing and perfectionism and overachieving because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I didn't want to give anybody reason to find fault in me. I wanted everybody to love me, and I didn't want them to see what I knew to be true, was that I, that I was dirty and that I was awful and that I was deserving of no good thing. Mm. So we're hearing how the enemy had really come in and worked, but we've already heard that this is going to land a good place in college for you're going to meet the Lord in a special way and get this idea of a personal relationship. We're going to have to finish this story in our next episode. So okay. I want to encourage our listeners to come back and listen to part two with Amy Shields. Amy, it's been great having you today. Thank you so much and, for having me. And we're going to circle back and, and finish this story in the next Good. episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2023.